Hi, I'm Sarah, and this is All Things ADHD. I'm really excited today because I'm here with Lacey. Hi, Lacey. Hey, Sarah. Lacey, can you introduce yourself? Yes, um, my name is Lacey Colbreth. I am the lower school principal at Chatham Academy in Savannah, Georgia. We specialize in educating kids with learning differences. Primarily, our student population is um, falls into the ADHD category, specific learning disabilities, and other related learning disabilities. I have been a teacher for about 10 years. Um, but I'm also, most importantly, I'm a mom of a kid with a learning disability. So um, my daughter is dyslexic and ADHD. So I understand it from the perspective of the teacher, but also as a parent. So it's been it's been a good thing to have in my toolkit <laughs> as a teacher. And gives you good insight. Yes. What we'd like to do is talk about how this how COVID's going to affect your teaching and or mostly online learning. I know Mm -hmm. you guys are going back to the classroom, but for people who are not going back to the classroom, what are the needs of ADHD learners? Every kid is a little different. There's no typical ADHD kid, in my opinion. Um, A lot of times the kids are missing that internal regulation that stops them from doing something impulsive or from staying focused on a task until it's completed. A lot of times... ADHD learners need that external regulation. They need that little cue, you know, tap on your desk to redirect them back to their activity. They need um, somebody to keep them on task, keep up timer for them. You know, this is five minutes. You can do this, do it for five minutes and you get a two minute break. And that kind of stuff is really important for success for an ADHD learner. And, you know, a lot of times a kid with ADHD can sit and color and draw for two two hours. They don't even get up to get something to eat or anything to drink. They can focus on the things that are drawn to, but when it's the things that are hard for them that are like mentally taxing, that's more, that's the time when they really rely on those external regulations. You know, my experience has been the kids need a lot of structure. Yes, absolutely. But Um, when you go to school, you know, the kids get off the bus, they come in, they go put their coats up. They know they need to sit down and start their work. Yes. And structure is very important. Um, A lot of times routine is the first thing we teach ADHD kids. Then we start loading in content on top of it. And and yeah, when you are at home, if you're, you know, trying to set up a virtual learning environment, home is usually the the relaxation, the unstructured time. That's the unstructured place. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult to convert home into school. So what suggestions do you have for parents? Well, it worked best for our parents to create a special area that is most free of distractions for their child. When we started virtual learning, I had kids that were in their pajamas in bed showing up for Zoom meetings. They were underneath the table with the dog. I mean, it was they were all over the place, of course. So it took some communicating with parents and working some things out, finding a quiet place away from the TV, even away from other siblings, uh, even visual stimulation, not, you know, they need to be able to really focus. Um, My daughter did best in her room, just at her desk, no TV, no devices in her room, and she could sit down and, and she could focus and get some of her work done. Um, but, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to create within your home. Right. Well, so 
you as a teacher know about like attention span. Like mm-hmm. how long can can my focus on this activity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's um, again, parents oftentimes see their kids focusing on different things at home, so they think, oh, they can do anything for twenty minutes. Um, but you really have to communicate with the teacher because teachers can tell you, you know, your child can focus for 15 minutes within the classroom without having to be redirected or without needing a break. But at home, that timing might be a little bit different, you know, just because it's home and there are those distractions around and there isn't always someone to prompt them every 15 minutes to stay on track and, and keep focused. So how did you help parents learn how to assess their their attention span? Well, it was a lot of educating parents on ADHD. A lot of people know the term, but they don't really know how the term applies to their own child. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you have to, it's, it's a constant communication. And there's good days and bad days, too. You know, one day... I have some kids that they, I don't know what happened. Something happened in the morning to where their attention is gone. And then you're just kind of in survival mode. (laughs) Um, But then there's other times that they can focus for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And it's just helping parents understand that there's going to be a bad day. And sometimes that's okay. And, and just, you know, to keep the kid going, keep them motivated, keep them positive. Um, you know, I always provided alternate ways for kids to interact with whatever activity we had going on. Um, you know, the kids don't always want to sit and type. Sometimes I would set it up so that they could do a video to me to answer the questions. Um, they could sometimes build things to show me that they read it and they understand Uh, paint, draw. I gave the kids a lot of options as far as how they could participate. And and that's important to an ADHD learner too. They really need the five senses. They need to see it, hear it, feel it, touch it in order to fully get the most out of whatever your lesson is. Right. And then you're teaching something, another skill, art skill, public speaking skill, or all these other kind of things. Oftentimes something that really, that, that, um, keys into one of their strengths. Right. Yeah. Um, So can you talk a little bit about structure? Yes. um, So we like to start with, and I do it constantly, even for my older kids, um, a schedule. You need like a big picture schedule. um, What's happening first, second, third, fourth, um, you know, this is what you need to do first. This, you know, so they understand the flow of the day. Um, and they can kind of grasp and they can start to think ahead. Um, and then I break it down into each segment. Say, you know, you're doing English the first period. I'll say, well, you know, you've got five minutes of this, 10 minutes of this, 10 minutes of this, five minutes of this. And they work their way kind of, I always tell the parents to print out like a schedule and they can check things off when they've done it. They love to check things off. Cause it's like, yes, I did it. And they can see the list of tasks shrinking and it gives them that little bit of motivation to just keep plugging through. Um, so, you know, the spatial structure is important, but also structuring the time and helping them understand, you know, cause to an ADHD kid, you give them a whole day of work on a computer and they're overwhelmed. A lot of times they'll just want to shut down. I can't do it. I can't, it's too much. I can't. Right. So when you break it up and, and chunk it and segment it, it really helps them kind of plow their way through. A lot of people have talked about this chunking. Can you kind of explain what that means? 
Well, if you think about a lot of people, many, many parents said, you know, well, you know, my kid's at school for eight hours of the day. So I expect them to be sitting down at the computer for eight hours a day. That's not how school works. And it's definitely not how it's best set up for an ADHD learner. So you take things in chunks. Um, you divide up, say you have a lesson, you have time, 50 minutes of time segmented for that subject. But you chunk it and you take it into small little workable bits that the kid can can manage. You know, And some kids can do 10 problems and be fine. Some ADHD learners can get just as much quality instruction and education and practice from five problems just depends on their tolerance. So you take that lesson and you do, you divide it up into workable chunks. Um, we even physically cut paper sometimes, like say a kid has a worksheet and there's 25 problems. Oh, I can't do 25 math problems. So, I mean, physically cut the worksheet into three slices and say, you know, hey, let's do the first top, first piece now, and then we'll do some math facts flashcards and then we'll do the second one and then you know you can do some uh, maybe a math puzzle with shapes you know you kind of break it up so that they have a variety of activities um, that they can tolerate and and work through and and really gain from that time right that sounds like a, a great way to you know do different things within the same time frame and keep people interested and motivated mm-hmm. yep teachers and parents sometimes struggle in that that whole working together piece. Mm -hmm. How important is this communication between the teacher and parents now that we're having school at home? I'd say it's more important than ever. Um, Teachers, because we are often teaching at home, typically you have that classroom door, you have your classroom, it's your space, and you have to really open yourself up to your students and their families. Um, I gave out my phone number, which I would never do. I gave out my phone number to all of my parents. I gave my email address. I had available Zoom times so that if they couldn't figure out how to open something, I would set up a time. I could just have them share their screen and I could literally walk them through the steps of what they needed to do. For some of the different software that we use to help enhance the curriculum. You know, parents didn't know where to log in and they didn't know the sign in stuff or the kid couldn't remember the password. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time helping everybody get on the same page. It sounds like you're not only the teacher for the kids, but you're the teacher for the parents too. With this, Absolutely. That's been really important. And as we start this next school year, we have made sure that on the weekends and after school, we're going to have parents, we'll give parents the opportunity to come physically into school. And, you know, of course, we'll be socially distanced and everything, but I can help them, put them in front of a computer that looks just like the one that their kids are using and help them navigate and find things, problem solve. What do you do when you can't reload a page? I mean, stuff that I don't think about, but for a lot of people, is really, really challenging. Right. How many kids are in your class? Um, well, we're fortunate. We have around 10 children in our class. Mm-hmm. We are a, a school specialized for kids with learning disabilities. So that timing is, is much easier for me than, say, a public school teacher with 35 kids. Right. So a teacher with 35 kids won't be able to do all that work themselves. No. Um, I would hope that there would be, I mean, I, I don't know what every school district's capabilities are, but you definitely need to at least provide some support. 
for parents. Um, Because if you're not a computer person and you don't use it in your day-to-day life beyond maybe checking your email on your phone, you're going to be lost. And then your kid is frustrated and you're frustrated and there's no learning happening and you know it, it just isn't set up for success. The platform of, of computer literacy is really a starting place for success in digital learning for all children. And maybe parents can use tutors or, or other outside people to help with the whole mm-hmm. process. What I think would, if you did have a larger class and it was something that I did, I made instructional videos and sent them via email to the parents where I recorded my screen and I very slowly walked step by step. I showed them where to click, what was happening next. I showed them how to check their students' work, how to um, look and see what was posted for that day, how to print it, anything and everything that they needed. I sent them um I sent them videos. I sent them all at once. And then even though, you know, they had it there, they'd forget, well, I can't, right. I, I don't know how to check the grade on this. And I do, an, I send the video to them again. And you just kind of keep a little cache of how to videos. And um, that really helps. Yeah. That sounds great. Now, can we switch a little bit here and talk yeah. about teachers? Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I'm wondering what kind of technology skills ADHD learners need. Okay. So, um, as with any kid, they need to know how to navigate whatever software or whatever program that, that, that you're asking them to, uh, and ideally independently, even first and second graders need to have some of those skills. It's not easy. And we were fortunate in that we started a computer literacy program at our school. So we were integrating computers and Chromebooks and computer skills to everyday learning because so much assistive technology is out there for kids with ADHD and specific learning disabilities and dyslexia, dysgraphia. There's so much out there, but they have to learn to be comfortable with the tools in order to benefit from them. So we were able to spend that time, but for people that haven't done that yet, I I think that would probably be the most important thing is teaching them how to turn it on, how to refresh something. Um, there's a lot of different apps that'll store passwords so kids aren't constantly having, having to remember passwords. Years ago, I didn't know how to type until I was in high school. And, and we're asking our kids to type in answers and... and Pen pecking. <laughs> um, well, and... So I don't really know what exactly, I'm kind of on the fence as far as deciding what to do. We, I learned how to type, but I know a lot of people that are younger than me never learned. Uh, We have some teachers here that are in their late 20s that have figured out, I don't know what, you know, they do their own kind of thing. And, um, you know, but it's, it's a good skill to learn. You just, it depends on their finger dexterity and the size of their hands. Uh, I think that's usually why you kind of start it in middle school is because right. they're big enough and, you know, have enough control to really learn how to type. But there's a lot of really good typing programs out there. And we did add, I think it was typing.com is what we used. And that became part of the everyday curriculum. Yeah, so and maybe maybe the teachers just have to do typing.com too. There's a, There's lots of different typing apps out there. But then again, it's really boring. So you kind of need a person to sit next to the kid and make sure they're not cheating 
Um, so, so that one's kind of hard. It was yeah. that was a hard one to get accomplished without somebody standing. I remember my middle school typing teacher was had her ruler whacking all of us to make sure we were on not on you know on our desks uh, to make sure we were on task. So, <laughs> but typing is a skill, especially as kids get older, that they would definitely benefit from. How do accommodations in the classroom transfer over to virtual learning? Yes, this is, that's a challenge. Um, now, some kids receive certain accommodations and supports through RTI. Some get them through a 504 plan. Some get them RTI. through RTI, response to intervention. It's kind of the, and they may have changed the name since I learned about it, but it's the, it's the step before you get an IEP where they try certain modifications and accommodations within the classroom and, and they progress monitor uh, to see if that's going to work or the kid actually needs an IEP. Um, so again, that's communication with the teacher and making sure that you have the knowledge about what your kid is getting or should be getting in a traditional classroom. And then talking with the teacher and saying, you know, okay, how many of these com- accommodations do I need to to know about so I can support my students learning at home. Uh, the chunking, you know, segmenting work, um, giving them fewer assign, you know, fewer problems. These are all things that teachers kind of do on the fly, you know, but lots of times when you're loading things to a learning platform, it can be a little bit more difficult to differentiate how you're, you're educating the kids. So a lot of times it was a good thing to just send an email to the mom and say, hey, your son or your daughter only has to do 10 of the math problems. They don't have to do the whole worksheet of 25. Um, Then, you know, again, like that printed schedule, like a visual schedule that is really, really helpful when um, kids that struggle with ADHD are trying to get through the day. Uh, Offering different ways to present how they learned to the teacher, not just pencil to paper or trying to type it all out. There's a lot of different things you can use, speech to text, text to speech, that uh, help kids that struggle keep up with class and, and get the most out of their educational experience. So it means kind of that you as the teacher have to explain a lot of these things to the parent about what. Yes. Mm-hmm. knows yeah. they have accommodations, but you have to tell them how to use How to do it. Yeah, you have to show them how to do it. Yep, absolutely. You have to say, like I said, cutting the paper, um, giving them alternative ways to participate. Uh, the Zooms are really important. One of the things that we were most concerned about at our school was the social interaction that the kids have. Oftentimes, kids with ADHD, learning disabilities, they really need those social skills. So uh, it was important to find ways for us to create meaningful social interactions for the kids and teach them the social cues that they needed the practice on. When I think about it, all I can see is a classroom of even 10. If you had 10 kids and one decides, I want all the attention and you know, how do I take care of this? How do, how do I keep him on track? Well, and it, it was to begin with, it was completely crazy. It was absolutely wild. (laughs) But as I learned, I felt most comfortable with Zoom, especially once they added the password in the waiting room area. Um, I felt 
comfortable using it. And, uh, you know, we would have times where everybody was muted and I would talk if they weren't being appropriate. And we would talk about what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. If you're being appropriate, you got to be on the video. If you're being not appropriate, I would turn your video off. Uh, smaller groups, not doing a whole class Zoom, uh, breaking it up into maybe groups of four or five was also helpful. And were you able to do any socialization with kids to kids? You know, I mean, this is part of. We did supervised socialization, basically where I would sit and mute myself and I would listen to the kids. I also gave them opportunities within the, the class, the day to kind of show and tell. We had pet day where everybody got to bring their pet and tell us about their pet. Of course, we made it learning centered too. They had to type something up uh, like a bio about their pet. It was, you know, we kind of integrated it to an English kind of activity, but then they got to show off their pet to all of their friends, which is something you don't always get to do in a traditional classroom. We had uh, days where we would take a beach vacation. We had, uh, we did a lot of, a lot of fun stuff that we let the kids in, engage in. And, you know, it was, it was a good thing for them to learn and especially to see their friends after being so isolated for so long. Yeah. I like that beach idea. That's pretty cool. The Hawaiian shirts and it was fun. Uh, what technology works best to keep ADHD students organized and engaged in the conversation? Well, I preferred Google Classroom. There's some others. There's Schoolology. There's Flipgrid. For me, I liked Google Classroom because I was able to tailor so much of it specifically to my kids' needs. You can add on features. You can remove them. You can control how the kids engage with one another in the classroom? Are they able to chat with each other? Are they not? Especially for younger kids that really need that control and structure. I liked what Google Classroom provided. Uh, Flipgrid was really great for our super young kids too. Mm. Uh, and it was if they had a touchscreen uh, computer or Chromebook, it allowed us a lot of interaction. But Zoom does it too. If you use Zoom, you can flip the whiteboard and the kids could write on the board. They could solve a math problem, and the rest of us would watch um, and talk through solving a math problem. It, it created the most genuine feel to a, a, a classroom. Right. Now, can you use any of those technologies together? I used them all. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they can. Sometimes you can link them to Google Classroom. Other times you you can't. We used Flipgrid as a math for our lower school kids, but that was something else that they'd have to visit. Again, it took some practice getting them there, but the teacher was able to do a video and then do a Zoom, and then even our like second and third graders could still manage it. And then there's tons of extensions out there that can help as well. Sure, like what? I loved uh, I loved the extension Cami. And a parent actually told me about it. A lot of teachers' material is hard to get to the kids. And a lot of kids don't have printers or there was nobody at home to print it for them. Or it was jammed and no one knew how to fix it for the last three months. All these things were big barriers to getting a lesson completed. So I found Cami, And again, as long as the kids were able to uh, have a, a touchscreen device, they could pull up the worksheet 
and write their answers on the worksheet and turn it in directly to me. I could even comment or circle, highlight, and send it back to them maybe if they missed a problem or they misspelled a word. It, it gave me that ability to do what I would do in a classroom. Mm. And it was really good for kids that maybe have um, not so good. They're not so good at typing. It would take them yeah. forever to find the letters. Being able to just write it on the screen seemed to help. And that you can blow the worksheets up really big, too. So you can make them large enough to actually see in big letters. And that's a nice thing, too, for kids that um, struggle with decoding lots of small words on a page. Right. There was Hippo Video, where you could load videos and the kids could respond back. That was one that I was able to add to Google Classroom. LastPass is an extension that saves passwords for you. So you can keep track of passwords. That was huge <laughs> because yeah, no, so many kids, every teacher has a different website that they want you to go to and you got another password and it's really long. And, you know, especially for the younger kids, that's impossible. Um, but that really helped a lot of the kids. We used uh, Google Meet for older kids. We use Google Keep which is great. You can have, you can take pictures and you can uh, handwrite and type in your own notes. That was awesome. Oh, timers. Timers are huge. Um, and this is something, even if you're not going to be able to sit down with your kid, you can set timers on the computer so that the kids can kind of, you know, we were talking about chunking and keeping up with that schedule. You know, you have a timer. Oh, the first part of your lesson is done. You get a two-minute break. And then when the timer goes off again, you come back and you're going to start the next step. Okay, well, now we read the story. Now we're going to answer the questions. Then you get the timer go off again. You get to go get a cookie. You know, it helps if you're busy working in another room trying to get your job done. The timers really help keep the kids on that structure. Oh, and another Great thing. Say you have a younger kid and maybe they have an assignment and the teacher usually reads the directions for them, but maybe they're not a great reader yet. There's an extension called Read and Write. You highlight it. It reads it to you. And there's um, you can highlight um, like in different colors and it will all. So it'll read the text to you and then you can answer the question using speech to text. You click and you can answer the question. It's great for struggling readers to keep up in their classes, uh, kids that aren't such great spellers. And it also highlights the individual words as they're being read aloud to you. So even though you're being read to, it also increases how much, you know, it helps you become a better reader just by seeing those words and then having someone read it to. And it has a great, fairly human voice, which is Nice. Doesn't sound like a robot. Yeah. I mean, with all this COVID going on and this life that we're now living, it sure is nice that we have all this technology. Yes, it is. It's nice. It's just, it takes some time to learn how to navigate it. So I'm going to ask you for some tips. Okay. So first, can you give me three tips for a parent who is now at home with her child who has ADHD doing online learning, what would you suggest? My, the first step would be to establish good com communication with the teacher and make sure that you have that set in place first. That uh, puts you both on the same page. Uh, second would be to set up a designated learning area for your students. And the third thing would be to make sure that you and your students 
know and understand how to use any of the technology or software that's being required for virtual learning. Okay, now that's for parents. Now I'm going to ask for okay. tips for teachers. For teachers, it would be, ooh, this is a hard one. Make sure that you give your kids work that they can do independently. Uh, you can increase their learning, but to start off, you have to give them something that they know how to do first. Then you kind of work additional things into the schedule and the daily structure. The kids don't need new, unfamiliar stuff the first day of virtual learning. Uh, second would be to provide as many ways for a child to engage and participate in a lesson as possible and provide as many ways of presentation as possible. Make sure they're seeing it, hearing it, and have the opportunity to hands-on learn it whenever possible. And third would be to collaborate with other teachers. Um, I can't tell you how much of a resource all of my teacher connections were for me. And if you support each other and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this, reach out to a colleague, reach out to somebody you went to college with seven years ago and say, hey, you know, I'm struggling. What are you doing? What works? What doesn't work? Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Now more than ever, you need the best information on ADHD. It's the perfect time to subscribe to Attention Magazine with articles from experts on children as well as adults. Find out more about subscribing to the digital or print editions at chad.org.